And I just love being one of the pastors here at our church. I'm so excited that you've, and I want to thank you for making worship a priority on Labor Day weekend. I want to greet those of you who are watching online as well. Uh, I heard Adam Hamilton uh, preach a sermon once years ago, and I still remember this story he told. Adam Hamilton is the pastor of Church of the Resurrection. Uh, It's uh, on the Kansas side, and they have several campuses, a couple on the Missouri side. Uh, He's someone I look up to very much. I like to consider myself kind of like the other Adam of Methodism in the Kansas City area. I don't know if that works, but we'll try it on. Uh, He told a story of being at the Atlanta airport, and he saw a man who had a heart attack and was being attended to uh, by staff people at the airport. And he was on his way to another flight. You know how that goes. You know, everybody's in a hurry in an airport. And he thought, oh, how horrible. I'll, I'll say a prayer for this gentleman and kind of kept on his way. And then he said he felt a nudge to remain and, and to pray with this man. And so despite, you know, kind of needing to stay an arm's length away because he was being tended to, uh, Pastor Adam stayed and, and prayed with this man. And then the next Sunday he was at his church And on the way out, someone stopped him and said, Pastor, I got to tell you, I've just had a really hard week. Uh, My father had a heart attack at the Atlanta airport and died. And I just can't get out of my mind the fact that he died there alone. And Adam was able to look at him and say, I was praying there with your dad. Adam said it was a God moment and I almost missed it. I think that's an, an incredibly touching story. Kind of this combination between uh, the tragic loss with, with the comfort of this young man now knowing his dad wasn't alone. And it's a tribute to Adam's receptiveness and his perceptiveness uh, to the spirit of God. And so I'm interested in, in honing the same skill. How can we be open to these God moments that happen in our lives and those around us? We're going to be spending the next five weeks answering that question in our new series, BLESS. It's an acronym, B-L-E-S-S. Five everyday ways, everyday practices to love your neighbor and change the world. It's based on the book of the same title by uh, pastors John and Dave Ferguson. And I'll be hosting a live stream on Tuesday nights uh, to kind of dig into the scripture deeper and and have an electronic option for, for folks who want to have a group experience. Uh, it was going to be at seven, but I got flag football this year. So had to bump it back a little bit. So I might be a little sweaty. I might be a little worn out, might look a little confused, uh, but I'm looking forward to that. So we'll be starting this on Tuesday at 8 PM. Uh, the five practices are begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and share your story. These are things that we can be doing with and for our neighbors. You know, the church is an interesting thing because it's one of the only organizations in the world that exists for those that aren't yet a part of it, right? When you join such and such club, it's to get the benefits of membership. But the church is for the people who aren't part of the church yet. The good news of Jesus, the hope we have in God isn't just for us. And so it's through these practices that we can be sharing this good news with others. From the very beginning, God told Abraham, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. Friends, we are blessed not just for us, but in order to be a blessing to others. And what I hope we'll discover together as we study God's word is that to bless your neighbor 
Jesus invites you to begin with prayer. We'll be reading primarily from the book of Luke today. That's one of the four biographies of Jesus known as the Gospels. And the word gospel is a word that simply means good news. And really these next five weeks are how to share that good news uh, with other folks. It's ultimately about helping point others to that good news. 13 times in the book of Luke, we read that Jesus went off to pray. Now one might think, well, if, if Jesus was God, then why would Jesus need to pray to God? Is that like praying to yourself? That's a strange thing to do. Well, I think this indicates two things. One, it tells us about the type of relationship Jesus had with God the Father. That even though Jesus was God, Jesus still wanted to receive love and instruction through the Holy Spirit as Jesus communicated with God the Father. The second thing is that part of Jesus' mission on earth was to show us what a life of faith looked like, was to be an example for us. And so in the pattern Jesus set in prayer, that's instructive for us. This is early on in Jesus' ministry, and he's about to enter into a new phase. We'll read from Luke 6, starting in verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Prayer can be a very mysterious thing. The Greek word used here in this verse means to address a deity, the word for prayer. To address a deity often to make a request. But what will seem pretty clear when we read uh, the rest of our scripture today is that Jesus wasn't necessarily making requests to God. Jesus was praying in hopes to receive from God. Pastor and scholar Stephanie Buchanan Crowder said only after Jesus has separated himself from others and has had time in prayer does he call those who are to share closely with him. Luke implies that such a call was not to be made lightly, but only after much reflection and meditation. Like I said, prayer can be a mysterious thing. I think it can be a frustrating thing. Like sometimes I think, why does God need a suggestion box from me? Like what, why, is, why is that the case? And so what I have found is as long as I conceive of prayer as me trying to, to get God to adjust to me, all I get is frustration. But what happens if we flip that? And prayer then becomes me trying to adjust to God. Well, now we get somewhere. And so we go to God to empty our frustration, our sadness, our anger, our hurt, and our selfishness. And instead we receive peace and wisdom and strength. Luke 6 tells us Jesus was up praying all night. I was up till about midnight last night doing my fantasy football draft. I was a little, a little, a little slow this morning. By 9.30, I'm good though, don't worry. Jesus was up praying all night. And in Luke 6, it precedes the next phase of his ministry. When the morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. So Jesus has prayed over who he will select to enter into this relationship. Now Jesus had many people who dedicated their lives to him and followed them. And that like literally, they've traveled with him from place to place, not metaphysically, like I have decided to follow Jesus. No, it's like I'm going now. Like I'm following Jesus literally. Later in Luke chapter 10, we hear of 72 of Jesus' followers. So Jesus had many more disciples mentioned in the New Testament 
than just the 12 we hear the most about. The word disciple here in this verse is the Greek word mathetes, and that means a student who adheres to and travels with a teacher and a pedagogical relationship. Now about 20% of the reason I wanted to share this is my wife is a teacher and I wanted to use the word pedagogy in a sentence. Now that's, that's a $15 word, that's, that's okay, but we can conceive of a disciple as someone who apprentices themselves to a master. They learn from them, they're trying to emulate them, including living life alongside them. I got a buddy who's in the process of becoming a real estate appraiser. And he has a multi-year apprenticeship in which he works under an established and certified appraiser. And that process, he has to spend 1,500 hours learning from this appraiser. And that, that can take years. Even if you did it 40 hours every single week, which we know doesn't always happen, that would take like 38 weeks. Now what I found interesting is not every appraiser is willing to take on an apprentice because you're essentially training your competition. So it's very difficult to find somebody who kind of take you under their wing a little bit. Luckily, Jesus had a different approach, didn't he? His disciples included women, which was revolutionary for the time. And he, his disciples also included folks from all walks of life. And it's out of these many disciples, people that literally traveled around with Jesus, that Jesus was praying for those to select to another role. He called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them who he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, who you gotta distinguish from, uh, excuse me, Judas, son of James, who you gotta distinguish from, Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So we get the list of the 12 apostles. This is interesting because this is one of the seldom times that we find the 12 listed all together. Whenever I read this verse, it's a little spiritual gut check for me. Maybe this will work for somebody else. How many NFL running backs can I name? How many apostles can I name? Let's work to keep those lists equal. Equal. That, that might... That might give us an indicator of where we're at. Now, Luke also, the author of the scripture, gets kind of a burn in on Judas, whom he says later became a traitor. I just thought, I, I, in trying to have a little empathy for this man, how would you like to be remembered in history for the worst decision you ever made? I would not like that, but that's what Judas got. So, out of the many disciples or apprentices, learners, Jesus selects 12 to be apostles. The Greek word here is apostolos, meaning someone who is sent out. So all of the apostles are also disciples, but there are a few things that comes with this designation of being an apostle, of being sent out by Jesus. Biblical scholar Ken Heer describes them well. They would have a close special relationship with Jesus, he would commission them and send them out to continue his work. They would have a mission of preaching and he would give them authority. That's the difference between a disciple and an apostle. The 12 that were selected would have these four things shape their lives. Their lives. 
But in every estimation, there was nothing special about these apostles. They weren't special, and that's why Jesus chose them to be apostles. Jesus chose them as apostles, and that's what made them special. You see the difference? The apostles were everyday unimpressive people. Later in the book of Acts, Peter and John are described as unschooled and ordinary. Friends, I I get all excited on a Sunday morning just about this concept, that what qualified the apostles wasn't their expertise, it was that they were willing. Jesus prayed to God for who to invite with him and then selected normal folks, not the holiest, not the smartest, not the richest, not the best looking, not the most impressive. I love what my boy, my favorite uh, guy to read about the Bible, William Barclay said, the work of Jesus is not in the hands of those whom the world calls great, but in the hands of ordinary people like ourselves. That's some good news for you today. So if you've been trying to excuse yourself from following Jesus, thinking, well, I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't go to enough church. Oh no, friend, that doesn't get us off the hook. Jesus chose ordinary people. The work of Christ is not in the hands of the world, of who the world sees as great, but normal folks like me and you, and that's good news. So what seems pretty clear from Jesus' prayer is that his calling of the apostles was not the first time he met them. My dad said this to me when I was like 14, and it blew my mind. You know, the story of when Jesus calls Peter, and he sees him out fishing. He's like, hey, follow me. And it says they dropped their nets and and came and followed him. I I always imagined that they were like, hey, who's that? Okay. Like... (laughs) But Jesus had spent time with these people before this. And so part of what allowed him to to be selective in this process was that Jesus had relational proximity with these people. He had spent time with them. He had met them. And Jesus would draw them near for the next around three years. They would travel together. They'd eat together. At times they would be on the run together. And they would minister together. Jesus was able to be in ministry with them because of his relational proximity to them. Later, Jesus would sum up all the commandments by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor, the people you are in close proximity to. What would happen if we, after the model of Jesus, would pray to God for wisdom in order to bless those around us, in order to impact the lives of the people we are in close relational proximity to. What could happen if we looked at Jesus' command to love our actual neighbors, the people we find ourselves near? Throughout the next five weeks, we'll be talking about opportunities to do just that, to bless folks, that we would be following Jesus' command by being a blessing to those because we have been blessed. We've got opportunities in the lobby to do that. You're gonna be hearing all about that throughout this series. But one of the opportunities I wanna lift up came to us from an organization called Rebuilding Clay County. They're amazing partners with our church. We've done so for a long time with a lot of faithful service. And it's, it's coming alongside folks with housing needs and they've partnered with a group called Sleep in Heavenly Peace. And so on September 18th, you can find all this information in the lobby from eight to noon, Rebuilding Clay County is is, uh, sponsoring this opportunity and they need folks to show up and come assemble beds. 
Well, I don't have tools. You don't need tools. They got them. I don't know how to do it. They'll show you how to do it. Uh, it's, it's just ready-made. All we got to do is show up. Now, they approached us with this a couple weeks ago, and we were like, yeah, okay. They're like, well, we need to know soon. We were like, we'll send you 30 people. So when I was a little kid, my parents would always get mad if I asked them if my friend could spend the night in front of them, right? That kind of imposed them a little bit. That's what I did to y'all. So we got me and Debbie, and we had some people at the last service sign up, but we need 30. So I, I, put a, I, I wrote a check, and I need our church to cash it. So you can find more information about that in the lobby. This is one opportunity out of many that we're promoting uh, this month in order to bless our community from Kansas City to right here in Kearney, even around the world. There's no shortage of opportunities to do this, including your very neighborhood. Now, there's a lot at stake when it, when it comes to loving our neighbors because neighbors can give us some really high highs and some really low lows. Amen? And that's because of our proximity to them. We're linked. Our lives impact each other for good and bad. Sarah and I lived on the second floor. I think she's out with Betsy right now, so she won't giggle about this. This is good. Let me get this in. <laughs> we lived on the second floor apartments in St. Louis. And the people that live below us, nice folks, uh, did some barbecuing together, watched football, hung out. But the dude below us, every Saturday would blast German techno music from like 10 in the morning until like 11 at night. And hey, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a music fan. I don't, I don't think it needs to be, you know, silent as a museum in every apartment. I'm talking like, <laughs> like our lamps would shake and our, our picture frames would fall off the wall. So it's like a haunted house situation. And, and oh, it just made me so mad. My hands are honestly getting sweaty. I'm being triggered just thinking about it. <laughs> this is honestly the closest I've ever come to being in a fight. Like, and when you become a pastor, there's an actual line on like, an, there's an application and it asks, have you ever been in a fight? And so once or twice, that was the only thing that stopped me from taking off my glasses and trying to look tough. Oh, it made me so mad. About lost my sanctification. Just living upstairs from that dude about drove me nuts. It was a form of torture, honestly, and I just need to move on. Now, fast forward to moving to Kearney, and we hit the neighbor lottery. Check out our neighbors, Tommy and Carolyn Pettijohn. Look at this, I got this permission, by the way. Look, look, beautiful family. They're, they're girls, Claire and Nora, they get along with our children, amazing neighbors. Like, this is taken from Omaha, because we went on vacation with our neighbors. Greater love has no one than this, right? And so here's my guess, that's, that you too have experienced neighbors on the spectrum somewhere from DJ Gutentag <laughs> to the Pettijohns, right? And here's the thing, here's what's tough. We can't, we can't just love the easy ones to love. Jesus said, what good is it if you love only those who love you? Even sinners do that. In other words, no big deal. That's not hard. It's not hard to do. Babe, I told the story of our old neighbors listening to techno music. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's what makes this so hard, is we can't, we can't just pick the easy ones to love. And I'm so glad that God didn't take that attitude with me. How about you? 
And so if we're sitting here talking about loving your neighbors, I'm going to give you a tool to think about this here in a moment. And you think, oh no, not that one. That's the one. That feeling of, oh no. I'm telling you, that's the Holy Spirit saying, oh yeah. Oh yeah. You can't just do the easy ones, man. You can't just love the neighbors that come to your church. Can't do it. Imagine if people from our church, all over our community, were praying for their neighbors, eager to serve their neighbors. So in order to start that process, let's begin with prayer. Because it could be that we're missing lots of opportunities for God's blessings to flow through us to our neighbors. James 4 says, you have not because you ask not. Sometimes we might not be perceiving these things because it's not on our radar, or we may not actively want to because it's hard. So let's go to God in prayer, asking God to reveal to us how we can be a blessing to those in whom we find ourselves in close relational proximity. Again, the book of James tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Pastor Dave Ferguson, author of the book Blessed, said this, I have a hunch that God is speaking to us all the time, but we're only listening some of the time. What if instead of waiting for God to grab our attention, we were intentional about giving it to him? What if we began each day with a prayer to be a blessing to our neighbors and ask God for divine appointments? So I'm gonna give, you know, if you come to church on Labor Day weekend, this, welcome to the real Christians. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I mostly don't mean that. That's why I write stuff down. I want to give you a simple tool to really practice this, my friends. At the, take a piece of paper and at the top, write bless. And then think about the neighbors you are surrounded by. I got DJ Gutentag. I got Tommy. I, got, I told you. I got Tommy and Carolyn. I, t I told you. I, I tried to tell them. All right, so I want you to write bless at the top, write down the people you're in close proximity to. Now, I, I understand some of us, we, we don't live in, this, in, in the incorporated area. Your neighbor's maybe two miles away, I get it. But who are you near at your job? Who are you near, uh, you know, in your different social circles? Who are the people that you're in close relational proximity to? It might be folks on your block, but it might be somebody in some other area of your life. And then let's throw my killer graphic up there one more time. Write those names at the top and then draw a line. This is what Dave Ferguson suggested to do. Pray for those folks by name and then wait. Draw a line and then wait. Now prayer is very mysterious. Like there was one time I had a dream that um, one of my old students that I was a youth pastor for a long time, one of my old students, I had a dream that, that uh, she was pregnant. And I was like, this is, oh, maybe this is nudge. Hey, Grace, are you pregnant? No, that's weird. <laughs> ah, sorry. <laughs> like, it can be mysterious. But you wait. What is it that comes to mind? Right, wait to receive from God and trust that when we're going to God to receive wisdom that we'll get it. Is there a certain situation you know this person's in? Can you check in on them? Was there something you're suddenly aware of that you, that you hadn't previously noticed? Take note of whatever you feel you're receiving from God and then write that down. 
And we can be praying that God would give us eyes to perceive and the will to pay attention to the divine appointments all throughout the day. Friends, there are many ways we can be a blessing to our neighbors. When we begin with prayer, we can bless them anytime, day or night, as we follow the pattern of Christ. And everybody said together,